0: Just realized that uh, it's been I think this week four years ago that I moved here, either that or next week. when we came back um, uh, prior to moving back, we were uh, looking for a place to stay and uh, a church to work in. Um, this was one of four churches that I uh, interviewed at, and um, however, in the process, um, we looked at a lot of a lot of different churches, um, and uh, and I put in a lot of applications and uh, various things, and um, the only four uh, responded, and uh, there were a lot of not just different congregations, but a lot of different styles of congregations. Now, when I say that, I mean they were all Churches of Christ, of course, but. Um, there were a lot of uh, different types. Now, one of the, I remember one in particular, and I think it was uh, it was in either Kentucky or Tennessee. I can't remember exactly where, um, but uh, there was it had a job title, and it was something like encounter director was what the, I didn't even know what that was, um, I, so I didn't I didn't submit an application. I did respond to, I, I wrote them a letter. Uh, and I wasn't and I wasn't. Uh, submitting an application but uh, I, I basically told them that their job description was so full of gobbledygook I, I didn't know what I was would have been applying for um, and uh, I wasn't know uh, I wasn't sure what was expected of a person who would apply for that job it was on a church Christ bulletin board but I didn't know what it was uh, what does an encounter director do or whatever it was and I also told them that a uh, for the number of buzzwords in their uh, in their job description, a salary of 25000 was probably not enough. Uh, they might want to alter that for whoever might actually be submitting an application. I Imagine they didn't take my advice. Uh, now, I, I suppose the problem could have been mine. The problem might have been mine. Uh, perhaps if I was more up on my buzzwords, uh, I might have known exactly what the job called for. I, it could have been entirely my, my, my fault. And it's actually possible that they structured it that way just to weed out people like me. Uh, they might, that's entirely possible too. Um, which brings us to the concluding sermon. And you're going to wonder what in the world um, this has to do with, uh, with what we're going to talk about. But uh, we're talking about Jesus as the source this month. And... Uh, I don't want to suggest that Jesus has a title that is full of gobbledygook, or full of buzzwords. But we have repeated a lot of titles throughout here that, that are very meaningful to us as soon as we hear them. Right? We, some, of the, some of the titles of Christ are very concrete. And we understand, when, when Jesus gives a title, for example, of himself as a king, we, we immediately kind of understand the metaphor, Right? Or, or a shepherd, or, or things like that. We immediately recognize what is intended. Right? Um, even, even when we talk about Christ as the truth, we, we understand the, the concept. That's a, uh, but I want to talk about this, this last one of this series. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. We're going to talk a little bit about that. That's a little bit more abstract. Jesus as the life. And I'm going to cover several ideas because, quite frankly, much like reading a job description that I'm not familiar with, I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about. Now, the problem is not him, the problem is me, okay? We'll be quite clear about that. There's a lot of things that this could pertain to when, when he calls himself the life, and we're going to, to explore some of those this morning. Uh, and, and it's quite possible that, that all of these apply that, that he was summing up in one word a, a lot of different concepts that he wants us to understand So that, that's a real possibility as well uh, But we're going we're to talk about the life You've heard this phrase, this is the life Well, we're going to talk about Jesus as the life And this is the life Well, the first, the first um, thing we want to look at uh, here Is Jesus as the eternal life I think when we talk about the life and, and life in the New Testament often refers to eternal life, and and even in the passage in the context that we've looked at, Jesus is referencing eternal life. He's like, "I'm going to go somewhere. I'm making a place for you, uh, and where where I'm going to be, you'll come later." Right, and, and so he's obviously referencing eternal life in this in this text, Matthew seven. Uh, 13 and 14 says enter by the narrow gate for the, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. And the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And so this text by its own nature has the view to the final goal when, when we talk about life. The, the, the concept of what life is ultimately supposed to be and that's heaven. Obviously, Uh, and so Christ is saying, listen, I'm that door. I I am that life. Well, how can Christ be heaven? It sounds a little new agey to me. How can Christ be heaven? Because he says, I am the life. Well, it's not really that new agey at all. It has to do with a couple of things. Uh, First of all, uh, Jesus is the giver of life. John chapter 5, verse 24 through 27, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come for judgment. He has passed from death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and He has given Him authority to execute judgment, because He is the Son of Man. In other words, Christ has within Himself this ability to grant eternal life, and so He is the giver of eternal life. That's within Him. That's given to Him. Just as, in a, in a sense, life, it, 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 He is eternity. We don't really understand that concept. It's it's so far above my pay grade to understand that concept. Uh but that that self-existence. That that time means nothing to God, and He has that ability to grant that to us. That's one concept of uh eternal life that, that God or that Christ has. There's another one yet. Even still talking about eternal life. In 2 Corinthians five, six through eight he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, but we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, we're kind of in our home away from home right now. We are at home in a body. That's that's where I, I live. But there is coming a point in time where I will live elsewhere, you know, under certain conditions, obviously. Then, that's the ultimate home. That's where I would rather be. I'd rather be at the home with the Lord. And so, the concept here is that He is the purpose of life. That is, He's the purpose of eternal life. When Christ says, all of a sudden I'm going to prepare a place for you, that's wonderful. That's exciting. That's That's meant as an encouragement to us. But the purpose underneath that all is to be at home with Christ. That's the purpose of heaven. He is the purpose of heaven. Without Christ, heaven is a nice place that I don't really care about living. It's no different than here. This is a nice place. I mean, it is. There's things we don't like about it. But really, the earth is a nice place. I know this because God made it. I am driving in and just, you know, after the rain and everything, and I was looking at just how brilliant the trees are. It's beautiful. It's amazing what God makes. God didn't just make a place that we could... We could survive in. But He made a place that's beautiful for us. But if you don't have a connection to God, what is this place? Well, the same would be true of heaven. It doesn't make a difference how beautiful of a place Christ makes with all His creative power. Christ was invested and we began this whole year talking about Christ as the creator of this place. And he invested himself in this place, and he, he builds it for man, and says, "And now it's very good." He built everything and invested himself in something for man. And if he invested himself in building something there for us, and it wasn't a place where he would be with us, then what would it be? It would just be shinier. It would just be prettier. And it would be a place where we would not feel truly at home. <coughs> home is about being with Christ. And so He is the life. He is the purpose of eternity. He's the purpose of all of that. There is more, however, than simply eternal life. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6, he says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now this is interesting, the past tense here. Because we're all waiting for the future. And Christ said, no, no, no. You're already seated in the heavenly places. What? No, I'm not. I'm here. Because I'm not at home yet. Tense is a funny thing with God. He says, no. No. You're already at home with me because I've already raised you up. In other words, I've already given you spiritual life. See, see, he's not just life then, he's life now. Though heaven is a future existence in that sense, physically, it is spoken of, spoken of as a past accomplishment. Now, my, my citizenship has already been gained. I've already got that citizenship there. But it's because the spiritual regeneration has already started. That's the significant thing. I already have spiritual life and I'm starting to get my way there. God is starting to remake me. Not just I mean, the the, the innocence that was immediate. When I became a Christian, the innocence was immediate. The, the forgiveness, the complete and total forgiveness of all my past, that, that was immediate. But then the remaking began. The remaking of the, the way I think and the way I act, and it's a process, I know that. It's not, it's not finished. I know that on a daily basis. I'm, I'm well aware of that. And it's getting there. That spiritual renewal. Renewal. So, we know about the life. We kind of know the identity uh, of who Christ is, but, um, let's, let's skip here. We want to know the life. Know the life. Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 23. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place... by the the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is the curtain of his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and an assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful there 's a strange saying we have a lot of idioms about life do ever heard someone say about you got a new lease on life new lease on life um, well what is what are they trying to talk about they 're trying to talk about a lifestyle right i, I 'm I'm, I, I'm renewed in and in a, everything's new and I've always, I kind of think well, you've got a new lease on life you're not completely committed you know well what happens you know down the road I might just turn it in for a new one I mean who, who holds you get a lease on a car who holds that really to the end of the lease I mean, not too many people I get a new lease on life but I'm really not fully bought in something might come along and I, I might like that a little bit better I might like the the new options we, and we like to keep our options open That's really what that's about. It's what a lifestyle is about, is keeping our options open. Because the idea of heaven sounds nice. The idea of Christ going somewhere and building a place for me, I like to repeat those things. And truly, even when we talk about here, uh, the idea of heaven can sound nice, but, but more than that, Christianity can present itself as a shiny object. There are a lot of perks that come along with Christianity. And I don't even mean this in a negative way. People are attracted to Christianity because they believe it will solve their problems. And in a sense it will. But they're looking for the quick fix. Um, Christianity, if it's bought into, helps marriage problems. It helps addiction problems. It helps a lot of problems. And a lot of people will will be attracted to Christianity because they're trying to fix these other things, which are important to fix. I don't want to minimize that. But a lot of times what happens is once those things are stabilized, now they're looking for the other options. we fixed those problems. Now we want to move on to the other things. Now I want to go have the fun. I want the other things. That, and so the... It's a lease. It's a, it's a lease on life. I've have got a, a lease to fix this stuff, and now we're moving on to the shinier objects that I see around me. But Christ is the life, and if you want to know the life, it has to be a lifestyle. It has to. It, it's not just a, a, a quick fix. It's not just you know the uh, the uh, the quick diet to to get down to to my uh, ideal weight for a quick thing. Is uh, what do they call it? The um, uh, there's a word, there's a phrase for it. It does uh, the California diet or whatever. Uh, you know, just, just the quick, the quick thing, so we can go to the beach. I gotta just and then, then then I'm gonna go back to eating pizza in the fall. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a permanent change. It's not just a lease on life. Well, Second Corinthians adds a little bit more to some things if we're going to know the life. He says, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's not just the future. It is a now thing. Another strange idiom. Let me say this. You'll hear this in high schoolers hear it a lot. Go get a life. Get a life. Now, it implies that I don't have a life or it implies that the one I have is not very valuable. But let's talk about getting a life. Because Christ is quality of life. If we're going to know Christ, we have to look at the quality of the life we have. I want to talk about an appraisal of life. An appraisal of life. How we value things. We are raised with a evaluation. It's taught to us by parents. It's taught to us by teachers. It's taught to us by advertisements. It's taught to us to, to evaluate things, and most of those things are based on physical. <coughs> Luke twelve twenty two says, He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on Life is more than food And the body is more than clothing And that kind of goes back to what we said The same, the same way that, that we wanted to emphasize the idea That, that heaven is more than the structure so, so also life here is more than just the structure of our lives What kind of life do I have? Well, do you have a life of anxiety? We all have anxiety. Do you have a life that at times you feel extremely stressed out? Right? That's a... So then the key is, if we're going to have quality of life, to examine where that comes from. Where does that come from? Because Christ is life. And, and if I'm going to go get a life, If I'm going to get a better life, I need to understand what is putting a damper on my quality of life. Well, we attribute the lack of quality of life to external sources. That's how our appraisal works. My boss gives me stress. Or my job gives me stress or whatever. We 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 look at all these things. Or whatever the it doesn't have to be stress, whatever thing is in our life that we are dissatisfied, we look immediately to the external sources that are the cause of it. It's no different than your kids and he made me and then fill in the blank. Right? Kids do that all the time. No. He did not make you do that. You did that. You chose to do that. and and so it's the same way we're we're just bigger and the the problems might be bigger but it's the same way we need to look inside because those external things cannot control me it seems like they can they can put a lot of influence (coughs) on things but they cannot control my reaction I'll give you some examples of this in just a second Understand, when we're doing that, we're looking at the, the structure around us as the answer for life. You look at your finances, we all look at bills and get stressed out. Doesn't make a difference how much or little you make. We all get stressed out opening the mailbox. Why? Well, I look at things and I say, well, hey, I need to work this much, and we, we are stressed out, and I have to be working and working and working. Why do I have to keep working and working and working? Now, it might be, there might be things that are forced upon you. I don't want to say that there, there are no situations that are beyond your control. But a lot of us have things in our lives that are the reasons... Why we have to work that much. In other words, the stress doesn't come from the bill, in the sense, as the stress came from the choice that I made. Well, I have to do this because I chose to live in this house. Or I chose to drive this car. I chose to have this lease. And I start looking at things. And the quality of life tends to not really be from the bill. I can trace it all the way back to me. It's not external. It's internal. That's just one example. Your your stress might not be financial. It it might be expectations of other people. Again, other people, they have these expectations of me. Most people have gotten upset. Someone's coming to visit. What does the house look like? What will they say? Or you might be stressed out at over over uh, being around people who raise their kids a different way than you, and they might have expectations of you the way you raise your kids. That gets pretty stressful. They might look again, these, these are things that are external. Have you ever gone over to somebody's house that isn't perfect and they don't seem to care? Look. Like, they're not stressed out. You look jealous. They're just carefree. <coughs> What's the difference? Their house looks the same as yours. The most of the time, when you're not scurrying around trying to lie to everybody. <laughs> Been there. Right? Our house is cleanest well, from about five minutes before company. <laughs> How are they not stressed out? Because it's not the external condition. It's the internal condition. They simply have freed themselves of being a slave to expectations. (coughs) And these are physical things. These have nothing to do really spiritually. But I want you to show you how this works. But the same things happens spiritually with us. We have expectations... I'm supposed to live like this. I'm supposed to be like this. And so we run around putting on masks of what we're supposed to be spiritually and behaviorally. I'm not saying we should just give up and live like we like. That's not what I'm trying to drive at. What I do want to do is... Look at... I'm not sure if I copied this. Is to give up control of life. Matthew 16... Verse 24 and verse 25 is important. He says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone... This is interesting. He said this on two different occasions. I imagine more than this. This was an important point of Jesus. He said this earlier in Matthew as well. He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake... Find it. It is about giving up control of your life. I can't control what other people think of me. I can't make them like me. And I can't certainly make all of them happy. So I have to live a life for Christ. That is where I'm going to be at home. I'm at home with Christ. And that means if my house is a mess and you happen to come over, so be it. Suck it up. It's a mess. That means if you happen to catch me and my life as a spiritual mess, suck it up. That's who I am. I've got problems. We have a hard time letting down and showing that we have problems. We want the house to look perfect for everyone around us and it's not if you want true quality of life you're going to have to give up control that's where the answer's at I'm going to have to give up control I can't control other people and I can't control their expectations of me so we're going to close with a thought One simple question are you living or surviving am I just trying to get through the day well there are days that are it's important to just get through the day there are days like that but if that defines my general outlook on life then something's not right if my general, moment-to-moment position is that I am surviving, I'm white-knuckling on life, then I've given up control of something to somebody else, not named Christ. Be it a person, or a bill, or something. Trying to make people think that I'm something. Whatever it is, I do not know what that is. But if you're trying to survive... As you leave today, you need to take a pause and say, I I don't want to survive anymore. I want life. And that could be any number of reasons. It could be that you're trying to have a quality of life without ever starting a relationship with Christ. That you have not had your heart sprinkled clean and your body's washed with pure water as Hebrews said that could be where you're at or maybe you have and you have let the lease run out and the warranty's up and you're struggling to figure out what to do either way you need to be renewed it's a day by day process. It's not a one moment in time. So if you're surviving, I invite you to live.